Sunday of Advent, which is the, for us, we've been in John's Gospel, the prologue to John's Gospel, the first 18 verses. So if you turn to John 1, and if you need a Bible, there's some in the back, or if you have an app, you can just swipe there. Turn to John 1, and this is verses 15 through 18. Verses 15 through 18. Okay, starts in brackets. John testified concerning him, him being Jesus. Uh, Then John cried out, he cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. Let's pray. God, as we bring our lives to this text, we pray for our hearts. Um, Lord, we don't just, uh, I pray for myself, but not just myself, because we're all grappling with your word here. We all have just heard your words to us. I pray that we'd be able to understand it, all of us, and that it would lead us to joy, that it would lead us to um, a more um, fulfilling life, more satisfying life, uh, as we get to hear about the one who gives us that satisfaction, the one who is the foundation of joy. So we pray that we'd be able to learn from your word and that our hearts would be changed through it. Amen. Amen. Right. Well, I think generally, uh, if life is going okay, we think that we're okay. As long as there's no major catastrophes, pandemics aside, uh, you know, generally, like, that's, that's okay. We're all right with that. If we seem to be on track, however you might define whatever being on track is for you, um, then everything's kind of all right. The problem is when we get off track which of course we know we always do because that's kind of like what life does. Uh, Life, if anything, is uncertain. We can make plans. You can make plans for Christmas even. That's good to make plans, but sometimes they get ruined. Let's hope Christmas plans don't get ruined. I don't dare I say it. Uh, You can have the career and the family, but that doesn't keep you immune to cancer, right? You can do all the things right and still bad things will break in. You can have the partner and the friends, but that doesn't mean that they are not gonna let you down, that they're not gonna betray you. You can have the safety and security of a middle-class kind of life, but that doesn't protect you from the brokenness of the world breaking into that middle-class kind of life. You can have it all in this world, but what about the next? What happens? And yet, generally speaking, we still think we're okay if we can scratch out like an okay existence. As long as an okay existence happens, then maybe kind of I'll just be happy. I just need like a biscuit and some tea, and the biscuit is optional. You know, kind of like, then I'll be all right. But being happy with an okay existence, or really being happy with any of those things I listed, like a a good partner or that middle class life or whatever, if that's the only thing that you're happy in, that's actually a very, very small kind of life. There's a lie that we buy into that this world is is only made up of what we see. All of us buy into that because we're all living in a secular world. We're all kind of secular, really, by default. But that secular lie leads to small lives because big ideas like grace cannot fit into a small life. It's too big, of a, too big of an idea. It's too big of a thing. A big idea like truth, it can't fit into a small life. But we still want grace and we still want truth. And so we kind of chip away at them and we make them small enough to fit in our comfortable lives so that we don't have to change, but that we still get some kind of semblance of getting grace or truth. So now grace, it can fit into our comfortable life, but grace is really small and it's not really like a big thing. Truth can fit into a life that doesn't want to change, 
but that makes truth something lesser, something smaller. And of course, we all have these moments when we realize that we're not okay. Very few of us would say we're perfect. Uh, of course, other people are not allowed to tell us that. We, we can say that about ourselves. It's like talking, to, I can talk about my mom, but you can't talk about my mom kind of thing. I'm not perfect, but, how do you, but you're not allowed. But unless something breaks into the small, these kind of small lives that we have, unless something frees us from our comfortable, what are kind of like cells, our comfortable prison cells, we stay scratching out an okay existence and miss out on anything big. Now, thankfully, Jesus knows this better than we do, and he came into that world. He broke into our world, and he blows everything up, not to destroy us. Uh, and this life that he has, though, it is too big for a small life. So he is out to destroy something. He's out to destroy small lives, but not to, like, destroy us, to bring us into a more fuller kind of life, a more fuller existence. Jesus wants to, us to experience grace and truth in its fullness, because he's full of grace and truth, and he wants us to experience grace and truth in its fullness, not in its smallness, in its fullness. And the only way to experience them is to experience him. That's the only way. And as we do, he gives us grace and truth. Now, this is the uh, last week of our Advent series, uh, and we're in the last few verses here. This is basically like John's introduction to his biography of Jesus. And what we're going to look at in these last, last, this last little paragraph here is um, we're going to we have to boil it down to three things because we can't spend all the time on all the things. What we're going to learn from today is that Jesus is before and ahead of us, that Jesus gives us truth, <clears throat> and that only Jesus is God, and only Jesus reveals God. So he's before us and ahead of us. Like, what's the world going on there? We'll talk about that. He gives us his grace and truth, and only Jesus is God, and only Jesus re- reveals God. So let's go to this first kind of thing, before and ahead. Confusingly, we, we have two Johns here. I don't know if you, if you realize that. There's a John the Baptist, let's call him JB, and there's John the Apostle, the writer here, let's call him JA. So John the Baptist and John the Apostle. Uh, John, JA, is writing about JB when he said, this is the one in verse 15, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. So that's John the Apostle writing about John the Baptist there. Jesus came after John the Baptist, surpassed John the Baptist, but also came before John the Baptist. What's going on there? What in the world? And not only did he come before, he was before John the Baptist. But John the Baptist, as John the Apostle is writing it, is getting it, Jesus being eternal. He's eternal. And me and Colin have had, we, we go out for, for breakfast on Friday mornings and we get into these like really interesting and bonkers theological conversations. The thing we've been talking about the last probably month has been this idea of eternal. Like what does that mean? Like, I mean, really when you think about it, what does that mean? It's really hard to describe, especially to a six-year-old, let alone to a 40-year-old. But that's what John's getting, about, getting at. G- Jesus always existing because he's God. And that's kind of like, how does that happen? I don't know, because we don't have that experience, right? So he's, he's always existing before God. Jesus is also omnipresent. He's everywhere. Because he's God, there is no place that he's not. He's everywhere. He's in all places, whether space or time. He's in all those places. Now, other places in the Bible talk about this as well. They talk about um, Jesus being called the Alpha and Omega. Now, I know all of us are getting schooled in the Greek alphabet through, like, different strains of the pandemic, like, oh, Delta, Omicron, like, what's going to happen next? Let's hope we don't get an Omega. But Alpha and Omega are the the first and the last words of the Greek alphabet. Like, 10 years from now, it'll be like, strain, double Alpha, Beta. It's like, oh, no, how long? 
No, it won't happen. Uh, now, I know that, we're, yeah, um, so alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet, omega is the last. So when, when that's, like, what does that mean for Jesus to be the alpha and omega? It's another way of saying Jesus is the first and the last. Jesus comes after us, he comes before us. Jesus will always be and has always been. That's what, that's what that's trying to get at. He's ahead and before. And other places in the Bible also talk about how God is omnipresent. That it's in all places at all times. See, we are limited to our, our own kind of uh, bodily existence in one place at a time. Not so with God. He's everywhere, all the time. So be it time or space, Jesus is before and ahead and surpasses us all. He has a rank above us all. So that means in our lives, like, that might, oh, interesting theological thought. Okay, cool, let's move on to the next thing. But really what that means is there is no place that you have ever been where Jesus hasn't. There's no kind of state of being where you've ever been where Jesus is like, oh, I'm not going there. There's no kind of, there's no kind of um, heart condition, no feeling that Jesus doesn't know about and hasn't, been and, and hasn't been with you in. So if he is omnipresent and if he is eternal, he is with you always. When he says, I am with you always, that means he can actually follow through and be with you always. So in all of this, in all of this like constant presence of Jesus, what does he do with it? Does he use it as an opportunity to stand back? He's like, oh, that one's super problematic. I'm going to go to this easier dude over here. No, does he, does he shrink back from that? Remember, he's full of grace and truth. So he's like perfection. And what does he use with that? What, what does he do with it? What he does is he gives us his grace and truth. He gives it to us. We talked about this last week where Jesus is full of grace and truth. And if he's full of grace and truth in all times and places with us, um, what he does with that grace and truth is he pours it into us. He gives us his grace and truth. And to recap, grace is, is where joy comes from. Grace is a gift given to someone who doesn't deserve it. And truth is everything that is real, reliable, and trustworthy. And that's what Jesus gives us. He gives us those things. He's full of grace and truth. And out of his fullness, he gives us a stack of pancakes. That's how I translate verse 16, where it says, uh, out of his fullness, we've received grace in place of grace already given. It's like layers and layers or like a really good pastry. It's like all these layers, like put butter in between. Yes, please. And then, you know, just roll it all up and I'll eat it and, you know, want to take a nap afterwards. I mean, that, that looks amazing, right? Like, yes, more, how many, pan it's four, maybe five. It's hard to tell. They kind of men build, like layer into each other. See, Jesus has a fullness that he gives to us. He, he doesn't withhold. The only one withholding anything in the relationship with Jesus and us is us. We are the ones who withhold. He never withholds. We kind of, I think, we may be thinking about it, maybe not even thinking about it. We think that Jesus doesn't really want to love us. He's like forced into it. He loves to love us, of course. It's, it's what he does. There's a stack of pancakes waiting for us, and we're afraid to go into that restaurant. But that's what Jesus loves to give us. So let's look at verse 17. Um, where it says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, what is going on there? John is telling us that Moses, who uh, was the author of the first five books of the Bible, uh, also known as the law, sometimes it's like a short word for it. Um, I mean, the high point of the law would be something like the Ten Commandments, where uh, it's like, this is, how you, this, is the best, this is the best way to live. The law came through Moses. Now, God's law isn't just made up of a bunch of random rules to follow. Uh, they flow from his character. They flow from who he is. They're the best way for us to live. But it's also impossible for us to keep this law perfectly. 
It's impossible, especially when Jesus interprets the law for us and says, you may not have committed murder, but if you have anger in your heart towards someone, you basically kind of committed murder in your heart. When Jesus says something like that, all of us are like, guilty, right? We're, we're all kind of in that. And that's just one rule. There's nine more, and we're all guilty of all of them. It's impossible for us to keep that law perfectly. So we have this good thing, but this good thing also becomes a burden for us because we can't keep it up. It becomes something that's just like an unbearable burden upon our shoulders. Not because the law is bad. The law is perfect. It's because we're not good. We're imperfect. We're bad. There's nothing wrong with the law, but there are many things wrong with us. Now, thankfully, God's revelation doesn't stop with Moses. So the law came through Moses, and it continues. Grace and truth uh, come through Jesus Christ. So now you have the law and Jesus continues that process of God revealing who he is and how he wants us to live. And now grace and truth enter into that mix. So for those who aren't perfect, this is really good news. For those who are perfect, you're fine. You're cool with the law. But for those who aren't perfect, like this is actually really great news. Because grace is giving someone something they don't deserve. That's a gift. For those who weren't able to, with, to, to be able to stand underneath that perfect law. Um, for those who aren't perfect, we don't deserve someone perfect in our lives. And what he does actually is he does his work in us, perfecting us. And truth for people who are caught in lies, our own lies, lies from others, actual real truth to cut through all the fakeness that this world kind of blasts into our ears, into our eyes, that's an amazing gift as well, like actual real truth coming through. See, what God started in his law through Moses, he finishes through the person of his son. And that's what verse 17 is all about. God started something with the law in Moses and took a long time to draw it out and this magical, feels like magical story, uh, fully uh, fulfilled in Jesus, the grace and truth that comes through Jesus. Now, if you get that, even just a little bit of that, that's really, really good news. That's really good news. It's overwhelmingly crazy good news. If you've ever seen Elf, and surely that's, a, what a Christmas classic, right? When Will Ferrell's character finds that Santa's coming, you know, he's in the department store, and he completely freaks out, and it's like borderline embarrassing even to watch still. I think it's like so cringy. Christina has really difficult problems with like cringy moments of films, which I love. Um, but it's just like, I'm like, Santa's coming. He just, he can't, he can't, he can't hold it in. And everyone thinks it's like, what's wrong with this guy? It's childlike, it's joyful, it's embarrassing and hilarious. This should be the state of our hearts as we ponder something like verse 17. Like the law came through Moses. Yes, we have a lot of words where you hear about Moses. But you're telling me, wait, wait, wait. Grace and truth comes through Jesus? Like, you're telling me that? That's what you're telling me about? It's amazing. Now, let's chat about um, something here. Because I think sometimes it can be difficult to understand how does the law work with the grace and truth that comes from Jesus? Uh, now, we're not going to solve that complete thing here because that's not actually what John is writing about, but there's something that we need to bring up. The two things that John is bringing up here, God and his law and Jesus. Now, Moses is the one who wrote the law down, but the law didn't originate from Moses. It came from God. Moses is the one who wrote it down. John is talking about the covenant God made with Moses and his people in the Old Testament. I have uh, set a way out for you to live and for you to obey me, and if you do, there are blessings. If you disobey me, there are curses. And turns out we're a lot better at getting curses and blessings when we're on our own. But God didn't stop his work with Moses. Jesus entered into the world so that the world that we cursed 
uh, the world that into our lives are, we, we bring cursing. And instead, what he does, he gives us grace and truth. Now, again, it can be tricky and confusing how these two like talk to each other. And that is seriously like, a, a, that has to be a whole separate conversation. There's a lot more to be said about that. But what John is telling us here, though, is what started in the old is fulfilled in the new. It's not Jesus versus Moses. It's Jesus is the fulfillment of Moses. Even Jesus talks about that himself. Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. Now, that looks differently in different situations with different kinds of laws. But it's not this like, now that you're a Christian, you don't have any kind of law that like, you know, over your life. Like, of course you do. Like, everyone does. But now you get to rely on Jesus in order to take you through. It's a perfecting process instead of a process to be able to perform through. It's not like Jesus versus the law, as if the law doesn't matter. It's that Jesus fulfilled it. He continued it. He was before it, ahead of it, and far beyond it. Because the law was just a mere shadow of God's character. And in Jesus, we see him fully revealed. The law was a shadow. Jesus was seen fully revealed. No one has seen God except God himself, who is Jesus. And we'll get to that in a moment. And this glory is full of grace and truth. When we get to see God, he's not full of judgment. He's not full of hate. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. So full, he can't help but give grace and truth to all who seek it. That's what he gets to give us. He loves doing that. That's like more than his job. It's just like a thing he does. And that's what John gets to in this very kind of last verse today. The last verse of John's prologue and the last verse of our Advent series here in verse 18. Let me read it. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. He has made him known. So nobody else except Jesus, has seen God. Nobody else knows what God is really like. Nobody else knows like, the depths of who God really is, really gets God, really understands him. But Jesus, the unique son, the one closest to the Father than anyone else, God himself reveals who God is. So Jesus is God and reveals God to those things. We're going to take a moment to look at those two things. And this is like the one and only kind of stuff. We talked about that um, a couple um, messages back. One and only being like unique, being one of a kind. It's nothing else like Jesus. So only Jesus is God. Only Jesus has also has this unique relationship to the Father. And in case you missed it, um, it says, who is himself God? Jesus is himself God. Many other religions have a code of conduct. Many other religions have worldviews. But Christianity has one person, has a person, God himself. He doesn't say, follow these rules. He says, follow me. He doesn't say, oh, no, don't, don't look to me, like look to this other thing. No, he says, the best thing for you to do is to look to me. What kind of person says that unless they're completely deranged, uh, completely evil, or actually God? Those are the only kinds of people who say things like that. If Jesus isn't God, he's not worth following. He's really not, because <laughs> it's a much more difficult life. If Jesus is God, no other God is worth following. So if he is God, he's worth following. He's worth being an atheist to all other kinds of gods. Now, if he's not God, like, let's pack up something and go home and not do this thing. So following your career is not going to get you very far. Sometimes we think of religions as, you know, organized religions, and that's true, but also, like, we treat all sorts of things as religions, like your career. Following your comfort in this life, that's another thing we like to follow. There's a whole liturgy of comfort, right? You know, sit down on the couch, get the crisps, turn the TV on, and like get relaxed. That's like the liturgy of worship, you know, for comfort. 
I love doing that too. You can do that and not worship comfort. It's okay. But following your comfort in this life, if that's like the best thing, that's not going to get you very far. Following your own dreams, as great as maybe that can be, that's not going to get you very far. This is also in direct conflict with any other kind of religion. To say that all religions basically teach the same thing is either to betray one's ignorance of all religions or one's arrogance, thinking that you have it all sorted out. Oh, you're the one who figured out all the religions of how they're all the same. Oh, that's very interesting. Let me hear more about your thoughts. Like, that, that is just, you, if, if you truly knew about all religions, it's a very arrogant thing to say because you realize, actually, all religions are very, very different. Are they polytheistic? Are they monotheistic? Uh, what kind of different polytheisms are we talking about? Is, are they not theistic at all and related to something else? They're all different. To say, oh, they're all kind of the same is basically to say, I'm going to pick and choose what's most important of all religions and say they're all the same. It's a thing that only modern man has done. Before modernity, like, we didn't really do that. So maybe we're a little less arrogant then. I don't know. Maybe we're a different kind of arrogance. If only Jesus is God, then Muhammad can't give information that contradicts him. It just can't. If only Jesus is God, then the path to Buddhism isn't going to lead to enlightenment. If only Jesus is God, then all other claims are invalid, be they secular or religious, whether it's your comfort or career or other kinds of religions. And also, John also writes that only Jesus reveals God. God the Son reveals God the Father. Jesus is the last word. We talked about that, thing, I think, in the very first message. Jesus being the word means he is the last word. He has the last say in the matter. Jesus is the word. There's no other word that's going to reveal more. We have it all, like literally here. God made it very easy for us. He put it all in a book, and this is actually, oh no, can you guys see this? It's actually bound together, like a normal book, like on a bookshelf. And you can take it off and actually read these words. It made it incredibly easy for us to know who he is. And only Jesus knows the heart of the Father. Nobody else can say they know him more. Or no one else can say they know him better. Or have some kind of secret knowledge about him that only they have that's been revealed to them. This amazing knowledge that Jesus has, he doesn't keep it to himself. He shares it. He loves to share it. He has made the Father known. And that's another gift from Jesus. So Christianity is equally inclusive and, in, and exclusive. It's inclusive in that everybody is welcome to come. And Jesus calls everybody to himself. But it's exclusive in that Jesus says, only I'm God. So it's more inclusive than maybe other religions might be. But it's also probably more exclusive than other religions might be, or at least some. That means you can't know God without knowing Jesus. That means the people who seem to be doing okay, kind of on the outside, without Jesus, they're not. Without Jesus, you're not. Jesus isn't just kind of a couple slices in the pizza pie of your life. He's the light. He's the whole thing. And only him. And once we start adding more into the mix, it kind of dilutes Jesus. It dilutes grace. It dilutes truth. Like, oh, a little bit of, I, I like Jesus, yeah, but I have a little bit of these other things in there. You know, I'll shake it up and maybe every now and then drink more of the Jesus part and kind of be okay. But that's like weak tea or weak coffee. You know, you hand it like... You hand somebody some weak tea. I know Paul and Annie like strong tea. If it was to hand Paul and Annie weak tea would be like, an, ins like an, an insult. You know, and when you, or if you're a coffee person, getting the weak coffee, you're just kind of like, ooh, this is just kind of like lightly brown flavored water. Like, you could just like dip your mug in the canal or something and have a similar kind of, I remember the first time we visited Manchester, we went to a church that was doing, um, that was uh, reading the Bible with um, mostly international students. Um, and they heard, apparently, the people who were leading this apparently heard that Americans were coming in. These Americans really like coffee. And so we came to this thing. It was like the, one of the first things we ever did in, like, I don't know, it was 2014 or something like that. Um, 
And uh, it's like, oh, we've, we heard you guys really like coffee, and so we made some really nice coffee for you. Normally we make instant, but we have this filtered coffee machine, and we normally don't use it, but we got it out for you guys. I was like, oh, that's really kind. That's, re- what? that's very thoughtful. I would uh, probably not be that thoughtful generally. Um, and uh, so they handed me the mug. They were so proud about it. They're like looking at me as I'm drinking it, and I look at it. I could see straight to the bottom. <laughs> it was, I was like, good. Yeah, it's really good. As no one's looking. It was, it was, I mean, I, I gulped it down. And they, you know, they had the best intentions, right? But I wasn't full of joy. I was definitely not full of joy. And the same thing happens in your life whenever you had anything but Jesus. Like a little bit of consumerism here, uh, you know, a little generic spirituality here. Don't add too much Bible, but pure Jesus. It's like really good coffee, a really good tea, a really good whatever kind of drink that you like. Diluted Jesus, even with the best intentions. And often that's what they are, good intentions. Deluded Jesus, even with the best intentions, it's just it's not full of grace and truth. We find out it's actually kind of full of us. And I don't want to be drinking my own stuff back in. I'm so full of myself already. We love to be full of ourselves. I want to be full of Jesus. Now, this should really alter how we view our neighbors and friends, uh, especially in a place like Charlton, where it looks like a lot of people have stuff together. You'd be like, well, they don't really need God, do they? Like, they're, they're doing fine. Are they really? How, what's your definition of doing fine? They might seem like they have it all together on the outside, but if pure Jesus isn't there, like what do they have? The best thing that they have is probably very small. They don't have grace and truth because that's what only Jesus reveals. They don't have life because that's what only Jesus brings. They don't have the light to walk through this world because that's what he does. So I think we probably buy into this idea that Jesus can really be an option, but he did not come as an option. That's not how he talked about himself. That's not how he lived his life. John has made it clear. He came as nothing less than God himself, the only one who reveals God himself. It's not like Jesus plus anything. It's not Jesus and anything. It's just Jesus, full stop. So I think this really should alter the priorities that we have in our lives. If we say we follow Jesus, what does that mean for us? Like, How does it actually affect our lives? If we look the same Monday through Saturday and Sunday afternoon as anything else, like maybe we're not following as much as we think we do. To follow means to kind of be all in, to hear his words and follow through with our actions, to be taken in so much by his glory that it's his path that we're on. And we're not full of us, we're full of him. It's one of grace and truth and not always easy. In fact, rarely is it easy. It's a much more difficult life it's better. And there's good coffee there too, I promise. Especially the coffee here. We make it thick sometimes. Now, there might be a thought in your head at some point here, going back to this law and grace thing, this Moses thing, this Jesus thing. How can Jesus bring grace and truth? How can that really be good news to people who've only kind of brought curses on themselves for living in their own way, like the way that we kind of all want to live? If Jesus is God and we've run the other way from him, doesn't that mean that we should get the punishment that we deserve? Now, maybe you don't think you've been terribly bad. Like, maybe you haven't murdered anyone this week. Well done. Let's hope this week is the same thing. But what the Bible tells us is anyone who decides to go their own way instead of God's is in direct conflict with God himself. It's like treason, only on like a massive cosmic scale. And if treason would be a bad crime here in the UK, 
It was kind of like, oh, what did you do? Ah, I committed a little treason. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm normally like, okay. Treason is a bad thing, right? It's bad. You go to prison for it. Like, I don't know, you get kicked out of the country maybe for it. I don't know um, if we have to take too much time to point out how imperfect we are. Again, I think we kind of get that immediately. Not just in what we do or what we say or what we think. The bar is perfection. So if you're not perfect, you've committed just a bit of cosmic treason against the king of the universe. And that's kind of a big deal. So maybe we are guilty, okay? May, oh, let's get that. Maybe we have done some things and we are guilty. Why can't God just kind of wipe away everything? I mean, he's God, right? He can do whatever he wants. Why can't he just give you a clean slate and say, okay, let's start over? Well, that comes to another difficulty because if Jesus is full of grace to people who are guilty, does that mean that he doesn't give out punishment? And really what that question gets to is, does that mean that God doesn't care about justice? Is God just? If he gives us all this good stuff that we don't deserve, is he just? We care a lot about justice when someone wrongs us. Or when we read that story about the awful thing that someone did to somebody, especially with their children. We don't seem to care, a lot about, care an awful lot about justice when it's our own shortcomings under the microscope, right? Like we kind of put those down a little bit. The question we should be thinking about, is it possible to basically have it both ways? Can God be gracious and can God be just? Is it possible for both those things to happen? Can he be the judge that we want, setting all the wrong things right, giving out punishments that are deserved? And can he also be like the father that we want, that we can go to when we don't have things right, where he can say, I'm sorry, or we can say, I'm sorry. He say, it's okay, I forgive you. Now let's, let's move on. Can we have both of those things? Because I want both of those things. The only way those two things can be true, the only way is through Jesus. There's no other way for that to happen. No other good idea. No other religion, no other thought. Only Jesus makes this happen. It comes down to the cross. At the cross, God was revealed both as a just judge and a loving father at the same time. At the cross, Jesus took on the punishment that we deserved. So he's, he's full of justice and he's giving a punishment out. Jesus steps in. Through the cross, we see God revealed in the most grand act this world will ever see. Jesus dying in our place. Now, we didn't deserve this, and of course, that's what grace is. Through Christ's resurrection, he gives us a new life, gives us a new home, gives us a new family, and only through Jesus are we able to be welcomed in. Only through Jesus do we get grace and truth, only through him. He's before us, he's ahead of us, he gives us grace and truth, and only Jesus is God and reveals God. Like great coffee or a good fat steak.